When Tony was 10, she got teased by a kid named Maurice, so she decided to fight back in her diary. Maurice said that I don't have boobs. Well, you know what? He doesn't have a dick. <laughs> At least I can stuff my bra. He can't stuff his dick. That's Tony reading from the diary she kept in grade five. And this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Company House in Halifax, Nova Scotia, we have a secret spy club, haiku about death, and a murder mystery coming out story. This stuff is weird and it is wonderful, and it can also help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. A minute ago, we heard from Tony. And though she read at our Halifax show, Tony actually grew up in a small town in Newfoundland with a population around 200. I drank for the first time when I was 12. My first cigarette, I was 12. Had my first kiss at 13 and lost my virginity in a shed where fishermen store their gear in January. So <laughs> it doesn't really get much more newfie than that. So... Um, a quick heads up, Tony's reading does contain some cuss words, which we do not bleep. Okay, there's your heads up. Here's Tony reading a few more selections from the diary she kept from ages 10 to 14. I think I'm in love with Maurice. <laughs> you know, maybe he likes me too, but I can't let men get in the way of my dream of becoming the first female prime minister. <laughs> tall either, so I don't think that would look good for my political image. Um, it's a couple weeks later. Um, I got into some really deep shit today. My friend Sarah slept over and we watched scary movies. Then around 12, I decided to do something that would make me into a real woman. I found Dad's razor in the bathroom cupboard and I was ready to shave my legs for the very first time. Mom won't let me do it. She says the hair will grow back darker and thicker. I still don't believe her. What happened was I broke out in hives because I was supposed to use shaving cream and water. I just can't wait until I'm the premier of Newfoundland so I can pay someone to shave my legs for me. Um, this is a couple years later. Um, it was actually the night that I finished grade seven. Uh, last night, I had my first kiss. I, Tony Kearney, at exactly 13 years of age and approximately 9.35 p.m. in Conch, Newfoundland, had my first kiss. Yes, boy, and it wasn't very good at all. <laughs> you see, it was with me buddy Nate. Now I knows what you're thinking. 
Nate is my best friend. Well, yes, Nate is my best friend, which is why I thought kissing him would be okay and not weird at all. Unfortunately, I was very wrong about that one. And I am not usually wrong about anything. It was really disgusting and almost positive it wasn't supposed to be that weird. In fact, it was so weird that right after I kissed Nate, I also kissed my friend Sarah and Natasha. <laughs> On the lips, and it might have been with tongue. Cody and Derek saw this happen, and now they keep calling us the three lesbian amigos. I'm not a lesbian. I really like boys. But you know what? I think being a lesbian would be great because then you wouldn't have to deal with boys and their shit. <laughs> but unfortunately, I am attracted to boys, or I think I am. <laughs> Hopefully the next time I kiss a boy, it'll be a lot better than kissing Nate. Did I mention I had four beer and a Smirnoff ice cooler? So that explains all the kissing. <laughs> I just wish Cody and Derek would stop bringing it up that me, Sarah, and Tasha kissed. But hey, we did get more action than either then did that night. <laughs> so it is clear who the real winner here is. Um, and lastly, this is at the end of grade eight, I believe. Um, I really liked a boy named Derek, and I decided to take out my anger in a rap song, which I will drop for you now. It was the beginning and end of my rap career. So, <laughs> so it goes a little something like this. Um, I'm so sick you ignore me in the hallways at school. You make out with my cousin, and that's not cool. <laughs> if only I could make you see that the other girls are sluts, and you should be with me. <laughs> Don't suck face with every other girl in school. That's not cool, and if you do that, then you're a fool and a tool. I really like you. Can't you like me? Derek, me, and you are fucking meant to be. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> The summer Jordy was 10, he went to camp for the first and last time. At first, he really liked it, but as you'll hear, his attitude changed pretty quickly. Here's Jordy, live on stage in Halifax. Okay, so these are uh, the three letters that I wrote to my parents, and the only thing you need to know is that lightning is the name of my pet rat. <laughs> Dear Mom and Dad, this camp is great. It's my first day. Our group is called the Thrashers. For dinner, we had pizza. In your face, Kate. How is lightning? Okay, I hope. How are Greg and Kate, my siblings? This camp is fun. I bunk with Jesse. I sleep on top. Jordy M. P.S. If my spelling is bad, it's because school's out. And then this letter followed uh, on the heels of the first. Dear Dad and Mom, I'm homesick. I hate it. I'm crying while I write this letter. The food stinks bad. I want to write every day. This letter is no joke. In a dream, you pick me up and take me home. I'd give anything if you did. Bubba, lightning, all my money. I hate it. Other kids aren't too nice. I really hate the food. 
I'm crying the most I ever have. My group is the Thrashers. Pick me up, please. I'm counting down the days. Phone, or I'll try to phone you. Help me. I hate it. With all, with all my love, Jordy. P.S. I hate it. Come pick me up if you can. I miss you a lot. I love you. P.P.S. I actually like it. But I'm homesick. It's pretty fun. I'm just homesick. I miss you. So it was a two-week camp. I should probably mention that. And uh, this is the third letter, which comes right near the end. I've become a little more verbose and maybe reconciled. Dear Mom and Dad and Kate and Greg, I'm still homesick, but I am having fun. I hope you pick me up Saturday the 24th. That is when it ends. I hope, I hope you know. I worry that you'll think it was Sunday. Write me and tell me just so I know. You'll pick me up Saturday. Are you picking me up? Saturday, remember? I sometimes tell myself not to think about home. This kid, Blake, sometimes makes fun of me and Jesse and Devin, my other friend. When I get home, I want to do something fun with the family all day. I'm crying again. On our, bu- on our bunk, we sleep in sleeping bags. We have morning circle where we sing the national anthem. We wake up at 7, go to bed at 10.15. Jean was really nice. When I got homesick, she helped me feel better. The water is around 76 degrees. I don't want to write too much because I'll tell you when you pick me up Saturday. XOXO, love Jordy. P.S., write me a long letter. P.P.S., ask Barb. It's Saturday you pick me up next Saturday. P.P.P.S., I know you're getting sick of Saturday, so I'll write three more words. I miss you. You're feeling so sad and you're crying all the time, but there's like this very analytical afterthought to a lot of it where it's like, actually, I realize that I'm just being homesick. Like, what do you make of your ability at that age to feel one thing, but then actually apply some reason to it? Like, that's quite reflective, actually, at that age. Well, I think it was a relief to have, when even when I was reading it, I realized what a relief it was to have that diagnosis, like Gene the counselor, whatever, called it homesickness, and obviously I was just sprinkling that term throughout the letters, because I realized, okay, this is a thing I can name it and have some modicum of control over it. But I also felt incredibly guilty, because I had begged my parents to go to camp, and they were reluctant to send me, because I was very prone to homesickness, I was a chronic bedwetter, I hated the outdoors. I, I was a picky eater. So I just felt incredibly the sense of guilt and loneliness, pain being absent from them. So I was trying to like reconcile those two things, I think. When Karen was a teenager, she fancied herself a poet. She wrote about life and love and death. And she explored these themes in different styles of poetry. And at our Halifax show, Karen brought along a selection of haiku, which she describes as... Perhaps my best work. (laughs) 
I wonder sometimes why I am alive on earth, but there is no answer. (laughs) Another. A newborn babe cries, and life again has reached us, but somewhere life ends. (laughs) Death. To some is dark, to others icy cold. To me, it's just death. (laughs) A spring butterfly flying gracefully through the air hits a car window. A lot of what we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is private. Sometimes it's secret. And often, the things we hear on our stage have never been seen or heard by anybody except for the person who wrote them. When our next reader, Ian, was a teenager, he did a lot of writing online. He wrote to people in forums and through MSN and ICQ. And when he was 15, Ian decided to share his biggest secret in an anonymous youth support forum. I had always built up in my head that I had the biggest secret to keep, that I was gay. I knew that when I finally to tell someone, it would have to be someone I could trust not to overreact, and also someone who would just be willing to listen. So I just recently reached that point, and I told a person, a person I could trust, and most important, someone who would not overreact. Unfortunately, I did not take into consideration that other people have secrets too. (laughs) And as I learned a few nights ago, when you tell them a truth you have not told anyone before, they return the favor in kind. Such was the case with my friend. I told him that I was gay, and he told me that he may have killed someone. (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous, and the shock of the whole situation has only just begun to hit me. I still trust him, and he is still a good person, but a murderer? I knew it could not be true, but it was. And he had a secret thousands of times deeper than my own. One that could severely alter his image in the eyes of those around him and did just that in my eyes. I don't know how to deal with this situation at all. I'm the only person he has told And I know it is a true because he has been having trouble sleeping lately. And that would explain a lot. If it weren't for the explanation he gave for what happened, I probably would have phoned the police. 
right after he told me. But his motives were honorable. The person attacked a woman in an alleyway, and when my friend went to stop it, he put too much force into pulling the man away, and he cracked the man's head on a dumpster. The woman the man had been attacking fled. My friend, after seeing the blood, and from his story, he is pretty sure the man died. How do I react to that? What do I say? His motives were with reason. He helped someone, but he also hurt someone. He made my first step in coming out a farce. ever believe that after finally deciding to tell someone that I was gay that he would respond by saying that he may have killed someone he acted as if it was only as big as the secret of my homosexuality but well me being gay may hurt people it won't kill people What do I do? What advice can I give to a friend in trouble? My only advice so far has been to seek someone else's advice. I should be able to do better than that. Thank you. After the show, Ian told me he doesn't know what happened with his friend, or the woman, or the man in the alley. It all happened a really long time ago, and it was written on an anonymous youth support website that has long since been deleted. And as Ian pointed out, Teens have sort of a flair for a dramatic, and I, I, I probably embellished his also dramatized version of events. Uh, it's been so long uh, uh, since I've even thought about it. Uh, It's not a morally easy thing to think of, even as an adult. So my teenage brain was uh, kind of at a loss for how to deal with it. Looking back, there's so much of me desperate to have the focus back on me. And I think that's the comedy of it now and the reason why people were laughing. (laughs) What I take away from the story is uh, remembering that it's not all about you. Um, even when it seems like it should be, like you spend a lot of time when you're young uh, worrying about what others are thinking about you and the real shock is that sometimes they're not thinking about you at all. Uh, They're thinking about what they're going through. When Michelle was in grade four, she started a club for girls. It was a secret spy club. Everybody had code names and numbers, and the objective was to spy on other clubs, boys' clubs. At our Halifax show, Michelle read from the club bylaws and other governance documents. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Michelle. 
right, thanks. This is the Club Notebook number one yellow black series, and it's private. <laughs> so we'll start first, part one rules. Number one, meetings can be expanded. Number two, stay overtime if you want. Three, don't giggle during meetings. Four, pay attention. Five, make a peace sign on the floor and I will recognize you. Then you can talk, not before. <laughs> Listen and don't always be disturbing. So this is the recruitment piece. Please try to get joiners for meetings. Don't tell about the club. Just ask if they want to be a spy. Then take her to me. <laughs> Um, so there's a memo first. Sorry, this club is not very well off money-wise. <laughs> Although in 56's club, they have dues, but I gave it some thought and decided we shouldn't have dues. Now, each of you will need a whistle. They, they are 15 to 25 cents each. The next memo, help! I know this is a lot to ask, but besides the whistles, we should have uniforms. <laughs> now, I know we could buy uniforms, but we don't have the money, therefore we must make them. <laughs> P.S. I already have the patterns. What I love, what I love about Michelle's spy club is how little of that actually had anything to do with spying. That was beautiful. Oh, just administration. That was lovely. <laughs> Today, Michelle works as an environmental consultant, and a big part of her job is dealing with administration, logistics, and running meetings. After the show, out on the street, we talked about that. I mean, one of the things that I really love about this kind of writing is that in some cases it can feel very, very distant and you can feel like that it's hard to believe that it was even you writing this. And then in other cases it feels very close to home and it feels like the you that's in you today was there from the beginning. Uh, I guess it isn't so different now, um, except that I try to be more democratic and a little bit less bossy, but um, it seems to go better when I'm bossy. Things seem to stay on track a little bit better, so maybe I was on to something in grade four. Did you ever make the uniforms? I did make the uniforms. We had gingham vests, and I still have some of the green fabric in my house 30 years later. It's lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. When Dan was in grade two, he had what you might call an active imagination. And that came out in the stories he wrote and the journal he kept for school. Here's Dan. All right, so we're going to start off with The Disgusting Sandwich, written and illustrated by Danny. October 2nd. My mother must have been half asleep when she made my lunch this morning. When I opened my lunch at school, I found the most disgusting sandwich. This is what happened. I was walking to school quickly. I was so hungry. 
Finally, the bell rang. I went to the lunchroom. I opened my lunchbox. Everybody yelled, pew! What is that smell? Everybody plugged their noses. My friend Mark said, Danny, is that your sandwich? I said, I do not know. (laughs) A bully who was sitting behind me yelled, let me smell. So he took a smell and puked all over me. The bell rang. Everybody but the bully went outside. The next morning, I made my mom's lunch. I made her an earthworm sandwich. Her boss puked. She was fired. She groaned at me for a month. We agreed no one would make a bad lunch again. The end. Now we have some journal entries from grade two and grade three. Monday, November the 14th, 1994. There is a new TV show on TV. It is called Superhuman Sammer Cyber Squad. It is like Power Rangers, but there is four people. The one is a Sam. The two is one tanker. The three, I do not know what her name is. And the last one is Amp. (laughs) There is a new TV show. Called Spider-Man. And he can do what a spider can. There is a new TV show called Batman and Robin. There is some bad guys that I know, Joker and Fresman. Uh... And then, yeah, so I go on in the journal, I talk about Christmas and what I got for Christmas, like three different entries. And then we come to Monday, January the 23rd. I hope when the Easter Bunny comes, I will get stuffed puppy dog and Cadbury eggs instead of plain eggs. I hope I win a prize if there is an Easter party. I hope an electric telephone and a giant chocolate bunny. And then my teacher's note was, you're already thinking about Easter? It's still a long way off. March the 20th, 1995. On Wednesday, me and my sister almost caught a leprechaun, but <laughs> but at least there, at least me and my sister got six cents because he jumped around and left 12 cents laying around the house. And then we go back a little bit to grade two. In the war, my grandfather was a Canadian soldier. I liked the puppet play because it was funny. I, I have a monster in my basement. On November the 19th, my mom said I was the best last night. I think I was the best too. Dan, ladies and gentlemen. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Company House in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And right now, we're working on our fall tour dates. So if you'd like a heads up about upcoming live shows, join the email newsletter. It's the first place we announce new live shows, and you can sign up at our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Or Even easier, just follow the link in the show notes to this episode. It should be right there on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.